Podcast One. Everybody and welcome to Listenable, our podcast where we hope to uh, talk to able-bodied people, people who are disabled, anyone who wants to be involved or learn more about this community that I'm learning more and more about every single day, not every episode, every day I learn more. And I think it's not just learn, but get entertained. Like it's, yeah. and Some of the storytelling is impressive. We had a guest on, Natalie Wade, who is an equality lawyer who has a high-level disability in an electric chair, has some high-level care needs, but is a weapon. Mm-hmm. Absolute superstar. Awesome. And she jumped on our Facebook to answer some questions. Yeah, so we obviously ask the questions that we want to ask in that moment, but sometimes you don't ask the questions that you want to know the answers to. So she was nice enough to sit down in front of her computer for a couple of hours and answer questions on our Facebook. Over 40 questions. Thank you so much. Um, So I thought I'd read out some of the answers to your questions because some of them are ones we should have asked. It's funny when you get 40 questions like, oh, we really missed yeah. a lot of Oh, car. yeah, that's a great <laughs> question. Yeah. Don't take our job. Taylor Jade, you absolute legend and weapon. She said, hey, Natalie, really connected with your and enjoyed your interview. Just wondering how many hours each day you devote to your work because, of course, she talked about having mm. over two and a half hours of care every day. She said, do you find it challenging to balance your daily care, work, and personal time? Natalie wrote back on her Equality Lawyers Facebook page, Hi, Taylor. So glad you enjoyed the episode. I definitely do not have the best work-life balance. Lately, I've been working 50 to 60 hours a week. She's a practicing lawyer, which is too much, and I need to sort it out. I've got a very patient, almost husband. By the way, uh, she would like everyone to know, though she did talk about a wedding coming up this year. It's been postponed because of COVID. Is that because our invites didn't come yet? That's right. We're still waiting. And she goes, sometimes I find my care requirements themselves are a bit of a barrier to achieve a lot of balance because I need to squeeze them in no matter how busy I am. Does that make sense? Another great question. Question from James Whitnell. Hi, Natalie. Really enjoyed your episode. I have MS and have two sons with a rare form of muscular dystrophy. We're about to build an accessible, friendly home. Is there anything you can recommend that's not usually thought of? Great question. Now, we did ask about her home. She talks about wider bathroom, talks about lower kitchen, but this her answer here is fantastic. Oh, man, I haven't even thought of this. Yeah. So she said, obviously, accessible standards need to be met. That's a, that's a given. But she said, I've got a swing door oven so she can actually grab hold of something and swing the door yep. in and out to open it. So cool. She's got automatic swinging front doors, which you might see in an office, which I personally cannot wait to have in my house one day. Uh, probably the most random thing is so helpful is a zip tap. Mm-hmm. I can't lift a kettle or tilt it to pour coffee or tea. The zip tap has instant hot water. Oh, like in office spaces. Yes. Very smart. Because your big fear, Dylan, You're is... dropping hot water on myself. You wouldn't need and that I, if you have a zip I, tap. And I still worry about like... Like I don't boil the kettle, I don't touch pots. And one other we want to give a shout out to and the answer from Nat herself, Bianca Bassett wrote, other than your wheelchair, what's one AT, which is assistive technology, that makes your life easier on a daily basis? And then Nat wrote back, whoa, this is the best question. I've really been enjoying Google Chromecast at the moment because I can change the TV channel and volume from wherever, which is really useful when I'm in care and want to watch the news or something cool. Very cool. So she just doesn't have to look for a remote, reach over, find it. She can just use her voice, which makes sense. So cool. And that's one of the coolest things about accessibility. Like people always go, oh, Siri's so to make my life easier. It's like, no, Siri's so blind people can use a phone. Yeah. Like it's, and they're like, oh, I never thought about makes it Makes like sense. That. And of course, cool. go back to Ben's episode if you want to hear how it helps him. Or Steph, or Steph. Steph Agnew, old text, everybody. Yeah. Um, thank you very much to Nat for jumping on our Facebook group. Make sure you follow us, listen, able podcasts on Instagram and Facebook. But let's find out who this week's guest is. When I was younger, I thought the job of our next gentleman might have been one of those jobs that I was like, nah, too hard for me. Too hard. Too hard when you're in a wheelchair. Too hard when you have a disability. A pretty tough one to kind of do. And this dude got nominated by... Multiple. I would say the most nominated. Yeah, definitely. The most nominated person we've had... Up there with Mo and Vinny. Yeah. On What About Me? 
No, no nominations for you. Okay, cool. He's a very busy guy. And he's finally, we finally locked him down. We got him. To come on this enable. We're very excited. Let's let him introduce himself. Well, I'm Dinesh. I'm a doctor who works in the emergency department at the Gold Coast University Hospital. We are the busiest emergency department in the country oh. as of last year or the year before, I think. So it's a super interesting place to work. And um, I have a spinal cord injury, uh, which I acquired halfway through medical school from a motor vehicle accident. And it's affected my fingers and everything below the chest. Uh, before medicine, I studied law. I'm actually getting admitted as a lawyer next month just for funsies. Just for giggles. Shits and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Overachieving much? Dinesh, uh, we have to say thank you so much for coming on. We weren't joking about it when we said that you were one of the most nominated. One comes from Kelly Frost. She said, hi, I'm Kelly. I'm recently married, 32-year-old psychologist with cerebral palsy. I'm doing a po- really enjoying the podcast. Thought the following person would be an incredible guest. If he agrees to it, he's very busy. You should have heard of him. Dinesh, the first quadriplegic doctor in Queensland, she believes. Is that true? Uh, yeah, to my knowledge, uh, I was the first person to get through medical school with quadriplegia here. Yeah. Another person who suggested you, and someone you might know, um, Alison Berigan or Berigan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she sent us an email. She said she's working on a project in Queensland putting together online training for health professionals for disability awareness. Um, Your advisory group chair is Dr. Dinesh from Doctors with Disabilities. Obviously, this is an audio medium. We put this up on YouTube with captions for people who are hard of hearing to be able to see. But, Dinesh, the smile on your face seeing people nominate you is pretty cool. I'm blown away. Hey, that's – it's such an honour. I loved hearing that. That's awesome. You've got an incredible story – there was a car accident. How old? You said you were halfway through medical school. So like 21, 22? Yeah, I was actually 24 at the time. It probably takes or, nine uh, years to be a doctor. Yeah. That's fair enough. Not a two-year degree, guys. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, 2010. And, um, you know, life was very good. I, I was not one of those people that wanted to, wanted to, you know, always grew up wanting to be a doctor. Uh, it wasn't like that. And I went to law school before I studied medicine. And when I was there, I, um, I went through depression and anxiety and I had panic disorder and I had agoraphobia as well. So for a period of time, I was afraid to go outside the house. And it was one of the most debilitating periods in my life, but it's also what led me to study medicine because it really let me do some soul searching and uh, I went through a huge period of change then. So I ended up in medical school and when I found it, life was so good. You know, I lived on the Gold Coast, got to look at the beach every day. I was doing this awesome thing that I loved. And uh, in 2010, I was um, driving back from my parents' place. They used to live in Brisbane. And I was, I was on the highway. It was... Uh, one of those days where it had been raining through the day, it was the 31st of January, and I was driving around about 8.30 p.m., so it was pretty dark. It was one of those crisp nights. The lights were really sharp, and I, I just remember coming up to this black slick, and it came up real quick, and it was too late for me to avoid it. It was uh, maybe, I don't know, probably about as wide as a basketball is, and I hit it 
and my car just lost control and started slipping all over the road. And uh, at this point, I was, I was uh, pretty damn scared and horrified and adrenaline was pumping because it was just being flung around, the car spinning, spinning. And then it ran up an embankment, came back down, and then the nose of the car hit the road and it just started flipping through the air front to back. So at this point, I was like, fire out. It, you know, it's one of the most violent experiences that I've ever had. You could see, you know, the glass blowing up and crap just flying around my cabin. And uh, at that point, I just thought, <laughs> I think this is proper mindfulness in action. I just thought, oh, there's no point being scared at the moment. So I'm going to think of this like a roller coaster and have fun. Wow. And I tried to enjoy the accident. Because what you thought it might be one of your last. Yeah. And I thought there's nothing I could do anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things in life where uh, when you don't have control of something, you're going to try and see it in a good light. Um, and that's probably one very extreme example of it. Do you remember this fully? Because most people that have a car yeah. accident have a bit of memory yeah. loss because of the trauma. So you got a full memory of everything that happened. No, I was conscious the whole time. Yeah. What, what were your injuries? I mean, as someone who's yeah. well-trained in it, you'd have a pretty good understanding of what happened. Well, when the car landed, I realized I couldn't move and I couldn't use my fingers anymore to grab everything. So I pretty much knew that I had a spinal cord injury. And, uh, yeah, I broke my neck. So you're, and- you're lying there. You've self-diagnosed yourself as now a potential quadriplegic. Mm. What's going through your head? How do you get help? Like, what happens? Man, when you realize that when something like this had ha- has happened to you, I can't even explain the, uh, the horror that you feel. You know, it's like an all-encompassing blanket, just terror. Because you know that your life has now changed forever. You know, like a few weeks before that, I was snowboarding with a friend in Japan. You know, I used to play basketball, hang out with girls, go to parties, whatever, you know, and all those things suddenly. And, and I loved driving. I knew that all those things and being a doctor as well, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't know what, what was going to happen to that. So it was just the most horrifying feeling that I ever had. And about a week ago, a friend and a colleague of mine had an accident as well. And the same thing sadly happened to him. And uh, he made a video from the hospital, which I listened to. And, you know, it's, it's the same, same story. When something like this happened, you just, uh, it's just horrifying. Did you end up going to the hospital that you now work in? No, I didn't actually. But the uh, funny thing happened. So a guy pulled over and um, he held my head Apparently, my head was just floppy and bleeding because uh, I had a big cut on my head as well. And he, he didn't have a phone on him. And a passerby called Triple O. And the first thing, first thing that turned up was a fire truck. And I met these firemen uh, maybe a year or two ago. And they said that whatever I hit, their fire truck also hit. And they lost control. Oh. And they flew past my car, but, but fortunately they didn't crash. So they just had to reverse back up. And the guy who was holding my head, he's like, 
oh man, I was so annoyed. I was like, why is this fire truck going right past? <laughs> Just cruising past. <laughs> yeah, but it's that they'd lost control. Wow. So the next thing that happened was a um, ambulance turned up and I was caught out of the car and, you know, my memory gets a bit hazy at that point. But I looked up when I was laying in the ambulance and I see this guy and it's a guy that had given me a lecture just not long before. Oh, wow. So it was this doctor who worked in the emergency department. He's an emergency physician. And I remember watching his lecture because he had all these photos of him stepping out of helicopters and cracking people's chests open in the middle of the road and doing all this crazy stuff. And I remember thinking, man, that's uh, probably who, what I want to do with mm. my career. So to have this guy suddenly in the ambulance with me was pretty cool. So um, I didn't end up in the Gold Coast Hospital where I work now, but it was the Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane. You obviously had the fateful night. Obviously, that changed your life forever. But before we find out how it changed your life and how you went on with your career, I want to know what did you know about disability and what was your perception of disability pre-accident? Probably pretty, pretty ashamed to say that. I didn't know anything. I didn't know much at all. And in fact, um, you, you don't really know what to think. Uh, well, I didn't before, before I had this accident. Like, I didn't know what to think. You know, when I came across a person using a wheelchair or a person with another kind of disability, I, I just didn't know what to think or, you know, I've just never thought about it in detail. You know, because there, there's a lot of visible stuff that comes with it. And you used to think, okay, it's a person that uses a wheelchair or it's a person that uses a walking stick or a person that has a visual impairment. But you don't realize all the other things that are underlying that, which actually forms probably about, you know, 80% of the stuff from what you see. So, yeah, no, I, I got to say my awareness was very little. It's, it's interesting because there would be an assumption that medical students and people that are doctors and that would have a higher understanding of disability mm. – but actually, it's probably not. They see. Is this something you study? Is is there like a, a course, a semester on disability or, or treating somebody with a disability? No. Wow. There's not. And it, it's something that would, well, I've been fortunate enough to be in the position to try to change that and try to play a part in, yeah, changing what that means. And you know what? One of the interesting things at the moment is that COVID-19 is bringing a lot of these things out mm -hmm. because it's amplifying a lot of the problems that we need to think about or a lot of the challenges. So um, this has actually been a time where we've, we've been forced to think about some of these stuff and, and a lot of these things have been brought to the surface. I noticed that when I was younger, when I was in hospital and I would have doctors and I could just tell by their bedside manner, their delivery, things like that, that they knew what was going on medically, but they had no idea about disability. Mm. Like culturally, what it was like, the way they talked to my parents. Like they're like, yeah, this is what's wrong with them. But it's like, yeah, but it's more than that. Like it's, it's a full everyday life thing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you're not going to get any better. It's funny you say that. And, and um, I agree with you. Like I think there needs to be creation of tools because it's not the doctor's fault. Like if you're not doing a uni, if you're at uni and there's no subject or semester on disability – if you've never met anybody like the national self, that's gnarly. You know what I mean? Like that's hard for them. So I think it's so important to talk about it. That's why it's cool to hear that you're, that you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like 
after I had the um, accident, I've had a lot of interaction with medics and there, there've been a lot that I haven't liked. And there's been a lot of interactions that I've hated actually mm-hmm. that have been damaging. A couple of years ago, I was at this forum in the United States where they had a bunch of patients with chronic diseases and some doctors, and they got these two groups to talk to each other. And it was really clear that I'm sad to say that the doctors just didn't get it Mm. um, and just didn't understand what these people wanted. And even, I think even uh, when I work, I find that, you know, your technical skills, like you're a doctor and I think people trust you to be able to do your job properly by and large, but it's really the other things that matter, like the, non-technical stuff and how you how you are able to help people and how you talk to them i think that that's a lot of the things that matter mm. obviously they got to fix you but that was the most important thing to me is when the i side manner yeah when i got treated like a burden or not like just another patient but like it's a bit more than that for us do you know what i mean and i struggled and i would like say i don't want that surgeon anywhere effing near me you see how he's talking about us like you know what i mean and it's hard mm. especially when you know this is for life. It's not like, hey, I'm going to have an operation, get my appendix out, and then I'll never see you again. It's like, oh, I'm going to go home, and I'm still going to be high-level disability. I've got to get out of bed and do this every day. It's like they don't care sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's an important point. Uh, Dinesh, can I ask you a question about um, the financial yeah. aspect of that? We had a guest, Ashley Morden. Uh, she's in Victoria, and she had a yeah. car accident uh, when she was a child. Her mum was involved in a car accident. She was paraplegic. I found out in that episode that... Uh, Road Act, the Road Road Safety Commission, Commission, TAC in Victoria, Victoria pays for that as part of our Red Joe. Is it the same up in Queensland? Is that Australia wide? Was your was some of the costs taken um, into account with that? Actually, that 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 is super important to know as well. Uh, When I had my accident, a lot of these schemes weren't in place, but there was some state based uh, systems that covered the funding for it. But now it would be covered by. you know, the, so there's the National Injury Insurance Scheme <laughs> that covers some of these things. There's um, traffic accident Commissions, schemes, yeah. like the one you, you've mentioned, that are state-based. And there's the NDIS as well, which covers um, different things. So there, there's a variety of schemes that cover all these uh, different types of injuries and conditions. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's super important to know where you fit in. And I had no idea. It, I just know my register is so expensive. And when she told me that, a majority, a large amount of my money that goes to my registration goes towards people affected by motorcycle, car injuries. Yeah, well, imagine remodeling your whole house, getting wheelchairs, blah, 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 for the rest of your life. You can't afford that as just like a normal person. Rehab. Yeah. So you went, you know, you had your accident, you went to rehab, which is where you learn to live again as a disabled person. Um, mm. I never had that. Obviously, I was born with a disability, so I learned on the run, as, the, as I would say, but I hate going to rehabs like they are just a place where like it is just so sad sometimes there's some people like you know yourself who come out the other side and have a positive impact on their lives but for a lot of people this is life ruining you know what i mean you've also then got in your own head am i even going to be able to do my career how did you mentally get through that and when did you decide you know what i'm still going to be a doctor i was in hospital for uh seven or eight months oh bro and I, I didn't even like sleeping on my bed all the time. I was that restless. Like I used to sleep on the floor sometimes, sleep on the couch. I used to be like outdoors often and um, I'd hate being in the house all the time. So 
I remember looking out the window in the hospital and thinking, I don't know when I'm going to be outside again and I'm going to be stuck inside. And it was the worst feeling. But then, yeah, like you said, like you're in this place with people who are going through the hardest time of their life. And I was, I was sharing a room with three other guys who had had these injuries as well. And everyone was dealing with it their own way. You know, one, one of them had some, had some other significant issues and they get angry every night and throw things around. And one of the guys like to take a take to the drink and um, you're just in this chaos. And I actually got to a point where I was just wearing like earmuffs to cover, block out the noise at night and, uh, you know, blocking out my vision as well, just so I could tune out of it all and try to sleep peacefully. But it is, it was the hardest thing to come to terms with. And I think it took me a long time. Um, I spent a lot of time just staring at the ceiling and staring out the window and thinking. What really helped me was, um, I read about this concept a little while ago, and it was called Alive Time and Dead Time. And it was in a book by um, Ryan Holiday. And it talked about how Malcolm X was this, uh, he was a bit of a hoodlum before he went to jail. And apparently in jail, he used that time to reinvent himself. And he said that even though he was a prisoner, it's where he felt the most free because he let his mind grow and become who he was. Mm. And that changed him and we know who he is today. So what they were saying is when you have these periods where you're, you have downtime, you can either make it so you're alive or dead and you can use it for the better. And I think that's what I did. I, I, at one point I made the decision that, all right, I want to make this experience so I'm a better person than before and I want to be better than ever. That, that's what I did and I think that really helped me because it helped me, you know, I read a lot of books and I'm trying to strengthen my mind and I wanted to become a doctor uh, still. A lot of people told me that I couldn't, but um, it never left my mind because I knew that if I didn't do it, I'd regret it for the rest of my life. And I didn't want to listen to what everyone else says. I just wanted to do it. So, um, good. I'm glad you did, man. Thanks, man. And isn't that interesting? Uh, the difference of mindset. You strengthen your mind, and you know, and no offense to the other people in the room with you as well. They probably took a different mindset, and you've got two different lifestyle outcomes. Everybody can take something away from that for sure. At the end of the day, you're, you're responsible for your life. You know, like when you get to the end of your life, you're going to look back and none of those people are going to be in the room. Like you said, mm. it's going to be you looking at your choices. One of the other things that um, I've had the, the privilege of realizing is that I've had this spinal cord injury and I've lost the use of my fingers and legs, but I was far more debilitated and limited having depression because I I was actually like, I I was a prisoner of my mind then and I didn't want to leave the house and everything struggled because of that. But the spinal cord injury, like I don't feel limited at all. I've done more after the injury than I ever have before. So it just goes to tell you, you know, your mind can limit you, but your body cannot. It's a, it's about perspective. The one thing that I say is it's, not the events in life that dictates the life that you live, it's the decisions you make around those events. So it's not the fact that we're both in wheelchairs, it's how we view it and what you can do. We're both living huge lives. Trying to. 
Right. Did you ever get blocked by any boards or people thought that you couldn't do it to work in hospital? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of people that said that. And when I came back to medical school, fortunately, I had a school and a university that were very supportive. But um, at the same time, there were some uh, policies that came out in Australia that actually sought to block people with disabilities from studying medicine. Yep. Um, Why? That's that is almost discrimination. Oh, one of the, one of the most hurtful things that I saw around that time was I saw an email from um, a committee member that was drafting these policies, and the email said that you know this policy should allow us the legal protection if we want to exclude someone with a disability from oh. studying medicine, or if we want to remove someone already studying medicine who's acquired a disability. In case you stuff it up and something happens and then that person sues you because you're disabled and can't do the job as well. Yeah. That's so, loose. So there's an unconscious bias and perception that you wouldn't be able to do it because you are disabled and you have high liability because you might stuff up. It was super disappointing. Oh. And I got through med school. I got good grades. I got, a, I got awards when I graduated as well. And I did, uh, you know, I did everything I can to make sure that I'm a good student, did the best I could. I um, also spent a bit of time at the Harvard University. So they have one of the best medical schools in the world. Wait, Harvard University? Yeah. I've heard of Harvard. Have you heard yeah. of Harvard? I've heard of Harvard. Yeah, I've, I've seen the jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like it, like, oh, it's cool. You know, this new small uni called the Harvard University. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got the jumper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went there and um, I was, I think I was a, uh, first visiting medical student with um, a spinal cord injury there. So I, I did all that. And then all, all the graduating doctors in Australia are guaranteed a job. So if you're a domestic student, you get a job because they, they make as many medical student places as there are jobs. Interesting. And Whereas um, like teachers, they can have so many like teachers, but thousand people for six jobs. Yeah, same as accounting, anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. On top of that, I had a scholarship from Queensland Health and it said, you know, we're, we're going to employ you for five years. But suddenly I had a spinal cord injury and they're like, oh. Uh, Did we say that? Yeah. <laughs> Did we write oh. that down? Have you got that in can writing? We, can, we delete, yeah. can we get rid of those emails? <laughs> yeah. Delete. Then suddenly they're saying, okay, you got a spinal cord injury. We're removing your application. And this turned into a massive drama. And uh, at one point they're like, look, you're, not, you're just not going to be starting work with your colleagues. And um, hugely frustrating. But I, I'm going to say the, the medical board actually registered me promptly. They were okay. really good to work with. That's good. It's more the employers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that was my next question. Was there a moment of acceptance or that you felt that finally you were freed of that persecution and discrimination? So I, I got the job. And that was, you know what, that, that was actually largely, and I think this goes to show we, we all need to push for the right thing. If we see some injustice in the world or if we see something worth fighting for, each of us has to say our piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what happened. Like a lot of people came through. They supported me in getting the job. You know, the, the media told the story. And I think that that is what actually helped yeah. to get this across the line. So I started working as a doctor in 2017. 2018, I was awarded Junior Doctor of the Year for Gold Coast. And then still I had, um, when it came time for specialist training and despite all the things I've done um, in the career, there were still people that said, oh, you've got a spinal cord injury. So if you're able-bodied, you're an immediate acceptance. You're like, you're the golden boy of the medical industry. You won the award. You get yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, um, I started doing a certificate in emergency medicine. 
And a part of it is all these different skills that you have to do. And one of my bosses is a supervisor. And one of these things is suturing. So you get a suture. Stitches. Someone's, yeah, exactly. And um, I've never actually done it before on a patient. Tough and without fingers. Yeah, you don't have the UC fingers. Tough without fingers. Yeah. So my boss said um, we fiddled around a bit and I, um, I could previously, I've, I've had to go on a model and I could, I figured out a way to do it with a bit of help. So while I can't use my fingers, I still got wrists. Yep. I can use my wrists. And so my boss said, okay, well, we, we know we obviously need to do it in a safe way. And um, you, you've probably shown that you can manage this safely. Let's see if there's a patient that's um, willing to wow. do this with you. So we found this awesome lady and uh, my boss said, look, it's this is probably the first time it's been done in the world. We've made sure that we've got a safe way to do it. Um, what do you think? And she's like, oh, I'd, lo- I'd love for you to suture me. So <laughs> well, she's in pain good. probably after like a surfing injury or like a, a fin's gone through her leg. Great. <laughs> is that arm versus a pool table actually? So. Oh, okay. Came right. off second best. Right. <laughs> So we, we did it and um, it was safe and it was good and she was stoked. That's good. And gonna, you got to tick that box and continue with your study. Exactly. Well, Brilliant. I was going to ask that question and I'm going to just pretend like I'm overbodied for a minute, right? When I see a dietitian and they're really overweight and they're giving me advice, I'm like, do you actually know what you're doing? <laughs> do overbodied people, when you roll in, in an emergency department, go, is this legit? Does this guy actually know because he's disabled? He's there... Can you see it on the patient's face? So we've talked about all these uh, biases, like the institutional biases and all these things. The patients, 100% of the time, every single patient has been awesome. There you yeah. go. So it's the other doctors. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's been amazing. Like I've had some awesome conversations with people and um, even people using wheelchairs and other disabilities that have come into the ED in the middle of the night and um, – had a couple of them say, you know, I, I just knew that you'd get it. We've just had awesome interactions. And on your fifth night at 4 a.m., that's just a really nice thing yeah. to hear. Can we just run through practically how you go about work? So, like, if you do need to do something hands-on, yeah, do you have someone with you who can assist for that part of it? Yeah, you give the direction? Like, how does it work? 90% of my job I, I can do independently. <laughs> I've learned how to use a stethoscope. I've learned how to examine a patient. Um, I, I write my own notes. So we, we have voice dictation in yep. the department now. And the, all those things actually make medicine more efficient as well. Yeah, um, not just for you. Yeah. And that's the incredible thing about coronavirus, like telehealth and for people with disabilities. And you'd like now don't need a physical script, which is always a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like that helps people with disabilities live better lives, doesn't it? Yeah, damn right. And um, like all the other stuff, like cannulation and taking blood, like we have a amazing team of nurses in our department. Um, so shout out. Hmm. I'm, I'm actually engaged to one. So oh, yeah. hey. well, hang on. we're about yeah. to get to that in a minute. Go, hold that thought. Do you think that you have the respect of other doctors in your hospital or that you've come across because of your disability? Do you think that people um, treat you differently in your practice, your peers? Where I work, the doctors have been amazing because I, I, I was a student there, right? I find that, Emergency physicians just have this, uh, maybe by virtue of their job, um, they've just got this uh, super can-do attitude. So when I was a medical student, I had to go and um, when I first came back, I had to go around and meet all these different specialists that I was going to be a student under. 
And uh, there's a couple that were like, oh, like without telling it to my face, they told one of my lectures, oh man, would, would patients take him seriously? And would, would, would this work? But the emergency physician that I met, she was just like, oh yeah, we'll make it work. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Uh, I can't wait. So they've had me since I was a student. When, um, when I was going through that thing I told you about with the job, mm-hmm. some of them even offered up their parts of their salaries to fund mine. Cool. Oh God. How so great is that? They have been super supportive. My colleagues are awesome. It, it's, it's been really, really good. But I know like around the place, people, people are asked questions. Like I, I was with a doctor, a specialist recently, and he said, um, when you were first looking for your job, I bought it at our specialist group meeting. And um, it was a group of uh, rehabilitation physicians, ironically. <laughs> and, and apparently they just said, oh, no, he can't be a doctor. Yeah, it's crazy, man. The people that need to have the most open-mindedness often have the complete opposite. That's crazy. Do you think that younger generations are more accepting and maybe it's those grey-haired nomads who have been sitting behind their oak desks for a long time who might be holding you back because it's not what they're used to? Uh, potentially, yeah. I mean, I, I had a chat with a very senior surgeon once who um, said that he was a, actually a very good guy and he, he, he mentored me a bit. But um, he said that when I first heard that you were coming to this hospital, I was very concerned and I had all these reservations but um, after having worked with you, my entire attitude about medicine and what it should be has changed. Oh, God. So you see some honesty yeah. um, like that. But we, we do have those issues, don't we? And um, you know the funny thing is I've gone through medicine using a wheelchair and we know we've talked about some of the barriers. But um, I've talked to some of my female colleagues and I've worked alongside them. And I'm sad to say that I've seen them face more barriers than me. Mm. So about with, about your question about um, maybe the old generation, you know, I've seen people tell my female colleagues, you know, ah, oh, geez, I can't believe you guys get this maternity leave these days and <laughs> whatever else. And, you know, if you want to do this career, you need to be a man in a woman's body and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, the, the thinking does need to change, I think. You touched on it briefly before, but you are a good-looking rooster, first and foremost, I must say. And you said that you're engaged to your partner. Did you meet your what, – what's your partner's name, first and foremost? Rachel. Rachel. So Rachel, did, yeah. were, you work, were you work chums that got together or – Yeah. Well, I used to see her around at work. And look, I I, I, I tell the story this way. So I, I always <laughs> hey, say, it's your side know. of the story. Hey, hey exactly. she's, not on, the, she's not on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. I used to see her around at work and she, she was amazing. She's an amazing nurse. Um, she's a beautiful girl and she was just super kind and I just, uh, saw her around and I, I actually kept seeing her around for about a year before I started talking to her. And then one day I just said, oh, you want to hang out? And, uh, so we did. And here we are. So you didn't know her when you were able-bodied? This is purely... No. Okay, cool. I didn't actually. No, no. I feel like my games got stronger after. Has it? <laughs> so how did you go? Did you, obviously that period when you're out of rehab, you're probably freaking out about it, but do you reckon... How did you make the, the switch, I guess? Because obviously it's a bit of a different kettle of fish having a disability with your sex life. No, I did. I totally, uh, I, um, it was actually really scary afterwards um, because, you know, you're, you're physically different. You're, you're different in so many ways. 
Um, but I, I think over a period of time, I just come not to care. So, yeah, good. Yeah, you, you, know, you still you got yeah, that Brad, still, Pitt, Brad Pitt smile on you, mate. You're mm. fine. Ah, melts melts hearts. What's next for you? And tell us a bit about Doctors with Disabilities. I yeah. reckon that's really cool. Yeah, well, so Doctors with Disabilities, we founded it. Um, there, there were a couple of us that um, use wheelchairs and have disabilities in medicine to varying extent. And uh, a lot of the barriers that we faced coming through the careers and a lot of the policies that were coming out, we felt the need to change it and make it more inclusive. So the reason we founded that was to create policy changes to make medicine a bit more inclusive, but also help people that want to chase this dream. Cause man, it's yeah. an awesome career. You know, I love what I do. And actually I got to say that uh, last night I got a text from um, someone at the Australian medical association in Queensland and the council had passed a position statement saying that medicine should be inclusive. Cool. Um, pushing that. So that's been really cool. Um, and you know, I feel like I'm in a privileged position. I feel like life's still good and I want to do good out of what's come to this. So this week I um, was able to give some thoughts at a Disability Royal Commission hearing and that was specific to COVID-19 and how it affected people with disabilities. So doing things like that that will change our community for the better and make a contribution. I, like, I, I want to keep doing things like that. I'm working on a spinal cord injury research project. So we got um, $2 million in December from the Motor Accident Insurance Commission in Queensland. And um, our goal is to make a change in spinal cord injuries and have people function cool. again. So we're working on that project, continue being a doctor and just doing fun stuff. That will hopefully like becoming a lawyer on the side. Yeah, so then there's a lawyer. I was just thinking when I <laughs> what when and if I ever want to run in run politics, right? Run for oh, politics. Oh, you should have him. Can you on come your... on my squad? You can yeah, be yeah, side bench or whatever minister, it is. No, no, he can be minister of minister, health. Minister, minister of health. health. Dude, if you're if you're doing it, let's let's do it. I reckon, I'm taking you with me. We're going. Uh, no, you're not uh, PR marketing. Just is that is that, is that a thing? Yeah. Social media manager. <laughs> We have a bowl of uncomfortable Dinesh. This is where people send us uh, questions anonymously or they can put their name to it if they like. Uh, usually it's a question they feel uncomfortable asking the person with a disability yeah. or affected by disability, um, but they want to know the answer to. This one came from Michael M. If you make a medical mistake because of your disability, is it worth the risk and should you be held accountable? Should totally be held accountable if, you, if anyone makes a medical mistake and mistakes do happen. Well, look, medicine is about um, practicing within your limits, disability or not, actually. So um, some people don't have certain skills or anything. Like not everyone operates. Not everyone does neurosurgery. Not everyone does plastic surgery. So you've got to practice within your scope, no matter who you are, whether you have a disability or not. And in those, those limits are very clear. You know, I'm not going to go and crack open someone's brain and fiddle around in it. Hmm. Um, so if start I make with the sutures first. We'll build our way up. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, if I, if I ever make a mistake, I will, of course, I want to hear about it. I want to be held accountable and I want to do better. Good answer. If you could go back to that night when you had the car crash, would you change it? No. <laughs> no. This is actually a question that I've thought about. As time goes on, um, I find it harder and harder to say, yes, I'd change it. Um, if you ask me like 
two weeks after it happened, even a few months after it happened, I would have said yes. But mm-hmm. look, I have had an amazing life over the last 10 years. I've met people, I've had friends that I've had have, who have only known me this way and who I value and love. And I would have never met if it wasn't for the accident. Um, me and my mom. So my mom's just been an amazing force in my life always. And we've come through this journey together. We've done some awesome things and um, our relationship, you know, we're, we're close because of it. And um, I've been able to do all these things that I hope is positive and makes, makes a change for other people as well. So to take all that back, I think it's a pretty big cost. What a good bloody episode. The time has flown. Very impressed. The way you speak and advocate, but also just got busy living, you know what I mean? Yeah. And doing what you want to do. I'm very, very impressed. And I, I think and hope that people who may be affected by a spinal cord injury or are and maybe are young and in yeah. school right now will realize there is nothing that can hold you back from pursuing what you want. I think you're a, I mean, you're the poster boy for that. Nothing should hold you back and nothing does. And life is good. Thank good you so you, much for being part Thanks of this. Coming on, uh, and thank you to the people who nominated you for getting us into your world uh, and thanks for allowing us in it I appreciate it thank you so much an incredible guest and once again I just I'm in awe and thankful to all of these people for giving us so much time yeah just the honesty that that you know everybody that's been on the podcast has been impressive and it really is resonating with the people listening and we see that we see you share our posts on social we see you write uh, beautiful comments in where you get your podcasts. The subscriptions are going through the roof. So please keep sharing it as much as you can because we want to get this podcast in as many ears as possible. And if you want to share your story or you know someone that we need to hear from, make sure you email us and get your requests in. Listenable podcast at outlook.com. And that's how we found our next guest. Well, I'm Julie and I am the proud mum of a son who is 24, nearly 25, who lives with cerebral palsy, he's non-verbal, uses a wheelchair and needs help with all his daily living needs. I used to work in the travel industry as a travel consultant, so I had lots of um, capabilities regarding researching and was amazed at how few resources there were. There was very little information picked up magazines, picked up the newspaper, didn't see anything about travelling with a disability, so there was no representation. It was always the family of four climbing the top of the mountain or, you know, imagery like that and just couldn't see anything. And so I just felt like society wasn't really welcoming to him. So that was the start of our journey. Can't wait for that episode. It's going to be a ripper. Uh, well, we know the episode. We should say we record it. You should be excited, everybody listening. It really is a ripper, and trust us, We've got a few in the bank, and they are all good. So make sure you subscribe and stick around. We'll see you soon. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson, and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull.